these two artists are sharing the space for the month. Getting work is on this side. Victoria is over on this side, and they're both going to speak to us um, for 20 or 30 minutes each about their work and their process. And their please come in. Wonderful opportunities to engage with them while they're here. Jenny has offered two Sagamatite workshops on upcoming Saturday and on Wednesday and Saturday. Tor has um, listening sessions in his not psychic group, and we'll learn more about all those things. Thank you for starting us out tonight. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I don't think it's showing up. <laughs> no, I quit Zoom. <laughs> so anybody ah, who okay. here might not see that well. Yeah. Okay. That should be good. Hi everyone, thank you for being here today and sharing your time with me. Thank you to everyone at Bunnell, Asia, Brianna, Bree, and other members of the Bunnell team, and Adele, who I haven't, I know there's folks who I haven't been able to meet either. Uh, my name is Jenny, I'm an artist who primarily works with the medium of photography. My larger portfolio also includes works made with video, sound, sculpture, and more recently a photo book. My art practice is grounded in all of this, place, storytelling, indigeneity, queerness, and familial and community relations. I'm inspired by kinship, uh, home, and our stories. This allows me to further understand my knowledge of self and ways that have been instilled in me uh, by my family, culture, and experiences. So today's talk will include a brief overview of a selection of past work, and current work and an introduction to who I am and where I come from. The circumpolar region is what we Inuit call home. We continue to live in our homelands and the empires of the United States, in Alaska, Canada, Greenland, in Russia, and beyond. I'm from Nome and come from the Inupiaq of Northwest Alaska. This map illustrates the many indigenous place names that the previous map does not include. This region was and is still home to many unique Alaska Native peoples. I like to start off all of my talks with a recognition of place and where I come from. Place plays an important role in who I am and what my work is about. If I could boil down my, uh, boil down my work to one word, it would be home. Home is made up of community, family, non-human kin, and so much more. It's important for me to ground my viewers and audience in where I come from so that perhaps those viewers who are not part of my culture may look at my work with a more informed perspective to critically analyze the work. I see my work as a form of visual sovereignty. Visual sovereignty, as Dr. Jolene Rickard says, and I quote, is one of the most dominant expressions of self-determination. Just as my Inupiaq ancestors' identities were formed, my identity is shaped by the lands and the waters that we come from. I am Kingakmute, which translates to the people of Kinnigan. Who I am is formed by my relations to kin, to the land, the ocean, my family, and the community I come from, but also those who I love. This photograph is an image I made during my first visit to Kinnigan, the village of my maternal family roots. It is 109 miles northwest of Nome. 
Uh, my fascination with the photograph began at a young age. In 1994, after my great-grandma passed away, I inherited her Polaroid camera. This was when I began to form a strong interest in looking at photographs and making snapshot images of people and places in my life, as well as the mundane activities I deemed important as a child. It was around this time that my enchantment with our family's archive also began. I see photography as a magic medium. Photography as a medium has that magical quality to it that draws me in and allows me to spend more time with a particular subject, theme, or memory. Photography provides a space for me to practice a form of careful observation that runs deep in the Inupak culture that I come from. So these images that you see here are what I would consider my first self-portraits from 1996, made with the help of my brother, who I directed to click the shutter. It's a silly story of taking a bath and getting ready for bed made by kids. The next slides contain a selection of work I made during my last couple years of undergrad at the University of Washington. This, called is called, this work is called the Duwamish River and was made in 2011 on the lands and the waters of the Duwamish people, the original peoples of Seattle. As a Nupak person, I come from water peoples. So everywhere I live, I'm looking for the water, observing the water, and trying to learn more about it. It's a way for me to form a connection to place. So these images portray the natural yet urban environment, industry, and restoration areas of the river and snippets of the surrounding neighborhood. While I was living in Seattle, I was learning more about the Duwamish River and first came to know this river, you can come in, following it from the headwaters in the mountains to the tidewaters. At this time, I only got around um, by my bike or public transportation, so I didn't get to travel back to the headwaters. So I decided to spend more time at the tidewaters of the Duwamish River to make images there as well as on the river. Today, the Duwamish River is much different than what it used to be. The once meandering river was straightened in 1913 by the Army Corps of Engineers. The natural channels were modified for a deeper, straighter body of water to enable ships to steer through, allowing industry to drastically alter this river. In 2001, the Duwamish River was listed as a federal Superfund site. A conversation with me in Inupiaq from 2013 comments on language suppression through external forces organized by the U.S. federal government, such as missionaries, boarding schools, and other assimilation tactics. In this video, I remain silent because I cannot speak my language. It is made in a church as Christianity has played a significant role in the suppression of our language. Language still plays a role in the work I'm making today through titles or thinking about the visual language of photography or my attempts to include my own voice through handwriting, which we will see later. That's not Quack, How Did We Get Here is a three-channel video. When making this piece, I was interested in food sovereignty and how our Inupak identity is tied to foods 
to the lands and the waters our foods come from. Around this time, I was thinking about my relationship to traditional foods, such as muktuk, seal, and other forms of quok, and how I wasn't able to access that food when I was away from home, and how my tastes were changing as I moved further and further away from Northwest Alaska. This video is also the first piece where I began to experiment with visual cues that perhaps people, many Inupak people would recognize and relate to. That is the dull and mass-produced ulu my cousin cuts the chicken with, and the cardboard she cuts the chicken on. Cardboard, which many of us use back home to cut our foods on, which are often sea mammals, can be too large for a normal cutting board, and the mammals have strong scents. Therefore, cardboard provides a cutting board that can easily be disposed of. This is also the first time I began to experiment with the concept of learning through observation, which is culturally significant. As in Nubak, we are taught to learn by watching and learn, learn by doing. So taking this customary act of learning through observation, my cousin Andy Fay viewed a video on YouTube on how to cut a chicken. She then portioned out the whole $6.99 rotisserie chicken for us to eat using a mass-produced ulu not made by our peoples, a mimic of a traditional Inuit knife. That's not quack, how did we get here, comments on the switch from nutrient-rich traditional foods to easy-to-access store-bought foods. Our traditional foods are integral to our culture and identity. Food defines who we are and connects us to our ancestors. So how did we get here? Continuous is a project that I started in 2015 after wanting to see more indigenous queer representation that was made by us and featured us and my desire to connect with other queer native folks. Also in 2015, there weren't many conversations going on publicly about what it means to be indigenous and queer and how to decolonize gender and sexuality. So continuous was my small inquiry into that work and that question. During this time, I was also thinking a lot about my own story in youth uh, and how I wish I would have had an indigenous queer adult to reach out to and talk to as a person coming to know myself as queer. Continuous features portraits of indigenous LGBTQ plus and two spirit peoples, which are accompanied by short stories from each participant. Continuous centers indigenous queer peoples in our stories and acknowledges that heteropatriarchy and heteronormativity are part of the colonial project in the US empire. So this is an example of one story which Mariah shared. You saw uh, her image previously. I've known Mariah since I, I was a child, since childhood, so it was special to have her as part of this work. So I'll go ahead and let you all go ahead and read that for a bit. So my hope is that Continuous will continue to inspire dialogue within our communities so that they can become more welcoming and safe for indigenous queer kin to flourish.
also, the, there's a selection of this work on my website if you're interested in reading the stories and seeing more of the portraits at JennyIreneMiller.com. So this brings me into more current work. These are the last uh, images that I got to make of my mom uh, prior to leaving Alaska for graduate school in 2019. Over the years and really since high school, I've made photographs of my mom. This session was especially tender and hard. Uh, it was tough to leave Alaska knowing my mom had an aggressive form of cancer and would be um, going through her last round of chemo. Well, my partner and I and our dog made our drive from Anchorage to Albuquerque. The good news is my mom is cancer free today and we both look back at these images as visual references of strength and what she has overcome. So being new to Albuquerque and far from home and not initially having a community there caused me to think hard and it took me a while to make work that became something. So I began to think more about how to bring stories from home forward and new work while not having immediate access to home or community. This caused me to explore other modes of making such as sculpture. My Grammy's dialect working title from 2019 is a small scale sculpture carved from ivory brand soap in the form of a human tongue that comes out of the wall at roughly the height my late grandma would have been when she was abused in school for speaking her language. While I was in elementary school, Inupiaq master carvers um, were invited to our school to teach us about the medium of walrus tusk carving. Because ivory soap is more affordable and accessible than walrus ivory, we were taught to carve soap to mimic the tradition of ivory carving. My Grammy's dialect references one means by which the Inupiaq language has been suppressed in Inupiaq communities, as well as other indigenous communities through the washing of one's mouth with soap for speaking their dialect. So thinking about language and having conversations with kin who have passed through my work continues to come forward. This image looking for my language in the corner where my Grammy was forced to leave it was made in 2019. I was never satisfied with this image, no matter how many times I tried to remake it. It remains a sketch. And since that previous image never felt quite finished, I returned to the space of the corner in fall 2021. This iteration of working in the corner references my view of home, of personal memories of my great grandma's living room, and so many homes in Northwest Alaska through the layout of the works. I've been thinking about how many photographs of loved ones were, were displayed on elders' walls um, and frames of all sizes graced the walls featuring kin. Portraits were layered through small acts of safekeeping by tucking the frameless photographs into the corners of the frame where the glass and wood met. This work in progress is inspired by those modest yet significant gestures of keeping loved ones close as I remember from childhood. I have obscured some of the faces in the archival images as an act of protection, similar to my other work. This idea of activating the corner and it being a site of coming together is of interest to me. It's a space I've been thinking about since 2019. For me, the corner can reference a triangle, which is another coded visual language found in our tattooing. At the time of making this, I was still navigating this mode of working and what this piece would become. Our, or what works this mode of production can and will transform into. And I feel like I found a solution, which is a new sculpture piece I made in 2022 out of my late great grandma's handwriting, 
which was part of my MFA thesis work, Where the Tundra Meets the Ocean. And now before I get to talking about that work, I want to talk about this photograph. This is an image that has been really important, a very important reference point to me in my current art practice. My great grandma's fancy fur parka found in our family photographs contains layers of information beyond a simple and uninformed read of the garment. Our Inupak clothing includes signals um, and information about the wearer through pattern, cut, and abstract designs that silently communicate who they are, their gender, what community they are of. And today these designs remind us of who we come from. Our clothing is tied to place and our clothing has been used for protection from the harsh climate we come from. I have been trying to figure out how to incorporate our abstract designs that are thousands of years old into my work and translate this idea of protection in, in a new way. I see this notion of protection showing up in my work in the form of refusal. To refuse is to exercise extraordinary power. I do this because as an Anupak person, many of our stories have been told by people outside of our communities, which can be dangerous. In that process, our stories have become disconnected from us and do not represent me. They exist as stereotypes and remain in the past. I've been thinking about the power I hold as an artist, especially when photo-based works are created, and how much information I choose to give the viewer and how much to keep for myself. And I am thinking about how the refusal of information can, when I feel is necessary, protect the person or non-human kin being photographed or visualized. When employed, this strategy can enact a form of tension. It requires a close read of the work. Ultimately, who has access to all of that information? What does that refusal do to the viewer? Does it cause discomfort or curiosity? During the time of making this video, I was reading the work by Deborah Bird and thinking about indigenous refusal. As Deborah Bird has highlighted, and I quote, to get in the way of settler colonization, all the native person has to do is stay home, end of quote. <coughs> what I learned from Bird and other indigenous scholars is that indigenous peoples and specifically queer indigenous folks are a threat to the empire simply through our existence. This threat is found within our refusal of the US empire's queerphobic, transphobic, and patriarchal principles. Standing our ground and taking up space as indigenous peoples gets in the way of settler colonialism and is indigenous refusal. Indigenous refusal has be become an important theory to my work. In Self-Portrait Legs 2020, I've directed uh, the focus of my lens onto myself again. This self-portrait is about queerness and my identity as a whole. While making this image, I was thinking about the following. What does it mean to be feminine? What does it mean to be masculine? What about a little bit of both? And who gets to decide? This piece also utilizes deadpan humor and pokes fun of pervasive standards of mainstream American culture, cleanliness and beauty, the dangers of a gender binary, and made up rules around who should and should not shave their legs. Untitled 2020, this is after Hal Fisher, um, if you don't know of Hal Fisher's work, definitely look it up. It's from the 1970s. Um, this is a standalone piece from a stage in my practice where I began to experiment with language in a new way to me, 
through the inclusion of handwritten text. This photograph is a way for me to celebrate the closed practice of Inuit tattooing, the artists found back home who have given me these tattoos, and the artists who have made the pieces of jewelry that I choose to adorn myself with. In April 2021, I was finally able to go back home for the first time since leaving grad school in 2019 due to the pandemic. During that visit, I made images of my auntie, my mom, my mom's scars from her chemotherapy port, scans of the port, and began to think more about my family's archive and how those images from the past act as portals and connect me to my kin who have passed through space and time. This work specifically, I'm still trying to figure out. It's beginning to tell the story of my mom's cancer battle, and I feel it's an important story to place in this ever-growing archive I'm adding to with my work for future Inupiaq to look at. And this brings me to my current work and ongoing work, which you see a small selection of it on the walls here. Uh, this was also my recent MFA thesis this time last year. It actually opened April 7th, 2022. Where the Tundra Meets the Ocean renders family through photographs and the reactivation of familial archival images and documents. This ongoing work centers on Inupiaq and queer quiet moments and memories, an intergenerational dialogue between myself, family members, and those who have passed. This work features the strong women in my life, soft moments found at home with my partner, and the spaces and memories where I find comfort. These photographs help me keep those in my family who have passed alive and my kin nearby. Moments highlighted in Where the Tundra Meets the Ocean, such as in this photograph, Tea with Akka, Remembering Her, presents a conversation I am having with my late great-grandma over tea. The photograph features her teacup and saucer. Through objects such as her teacup and by including myself through the shadow of the hand, this story serves as an act of remembering her. And this process allows me to keep her close to me and not forgotten. In my art practice, I've been asking myself, how do I keep someone alive who has passed on and how do I make photographs of them? Working with my family archive and building my personal archive is a form of visual remembrance and directly links the past to the future. It's a way for me to share traces of my family legacies. Inupak use oral storytelling to impart knowledge, share lessons, and keep another alive. Native feminism also teaches us that storytelling and the act of remembering can serve as methods to keep people who no longer exist in this realm alive. My work aligns with these concepts. In this image, my mom holds an archival photograph of my late Akka and my late Grammy. This image is about generational strength, love, and indigenous joy. For the past 10 years plus, I've had so many questions I've wanted to ask my late great-grandma and my late grandma.
The color palette in my work relates to home, to Northwest Alaska. While a good portion of these images were made in Alaska, a large portion were made in New Mexico and beyond. The pandemic kept me uh, from returning home as much as I would have liked, but I found it a really just a great challenge to make work about home while being away. The sometimes soft light renders the subject matter in a similar quality of light that would be found back home in Alaska during the winter months. The energetic light in others could be found on a summer day where the midnight sun shines intensely. Where the tundra meets the ocean contains poetic whispers of kinship, which ask the viewers to slow down with the stillness in the photographs. The viewing of this work is not to be rushed, which relates to Inupiaq concepts of time, observation as a key learning method, and the value of patience in my culture. This piece is a scan of an archival family photograph of my Aka's handwritten note. This image speaks to love, care, um, to what is not only inside of the frame, but what is outside of the frame. While reading this note, I felt the love my late great-grandparents shared for each other. I also felt sadness, but above all, I felt a connection to them through this note that was on the reverse side of a portrait. I've been thinking about access and the access one has to information, to histories, to stories in my work. And I've been thinking about the unseen in this piece. The note can have multiple reads. I feel a sense of love and pride. Willie, a skilled hunter and provider, presented his wife Helen with a new fur. Helen was a skilled skin sewer and seamstress. This wolverine was most likely turned into the sunshine rough on our fancy fur parka found in archival photographs. Sunshine roughs are a staple in Inupiaq parka making. This reading of mine differs from a read I had by another person who could only focus on the word killed. This piece is about tender love and those who, who, those who come from my community will recognize this. Where the Tender Meets the Ocean is a space I've been thinking about in my art practice, especially since the pandemic started and returning home was more difficult while living in New Mexico for graduate school. It's a place I've been traveling to through my work and family archival photographs and documents. It's here with me as well because I'm made of home. The following slides feature documentation photographs of a sequence of Where the Tundra Meets the Ocean, which exhibited at the John Summers Gallery in Albuquerque in April 2022. I chose to print my photographs large for this show because I, I want my work to take up space to center Inupiaq and queer stories. Each of the large, so each of these four images, 
Uh, 48 by 32 inch images contain one small hand-drawn hand <coughs> unique design that is relevant to Inupiaq culture. These abstract designs are simple at first glance, yet contain layers of information that are thousands of years old. Our Inupiaq ancestors adorned almost everything they made from clothing to hunting devices with designs. Again, these abstract designs silently communicate who and where someone comes from. Our designs can also mark important milestones in one's life. I wanted to make my own frames from scratch so that I could etch the designs into the frames as an act of protection, adornment, and for the visual symbols to act as a small gift for those who look. And each design is specific to the image it corresponds to. And this piece came to life from me continuing to think about that space of the corner, which I referred to earlier in this talk, of language and how to reclaim that space that I was originally thinking of as a space of language loss. Here, my great grandma's handwriting and note detail from 1989 activates the corner. Her story continues with me and my work and those who are also connected to her. To me, the sheet metal references the graphite of the pencil she used to write the story down with. The interconnectedness of photographs I have made and the reactivation of family archive of the family archive thread us together and visually presents closeness and a larger conversation between loved ones and I. This work highlights intergenerational sharing of knowledge, of history, of identity. I also made this photograph are this photo book, which contains the larger sequence of this work to accompany my thesis exhibition with the same title. The photo book contains 38 photographs, has 78 pages total, and is 10 and a half by eight inches. In an edition of 75 were printed in 2022. So what am I working on now? I'm regrounding myself in Alaska since moving back. I'm continuing to think about poetics and imagery, quiet moments, the archive, especially my own archive that I'm creating each time I make photographs. 